0: This message was recorded during a conference for Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Well, it's fun to be here, isn't it? I'm excited. Um, it's my privilege tonight to welcome Jannie. She is like family to us here at Cornerstone. She was just with us a month ago at our leaders retreat and now one month later, here she is spending an entire weekend with us. Thank you, Jannie. I'm really grateful. Jannie is a wise, older woman, and we can learn from her. She is a rare find, a rare find, and a gift from God. She's my friend. So Jannie, she's lived out the lessons that she's going to be teaching us this week, and she has displayed contentment for decades to a watching world. There's so much we can learn from Jannie. She has the grace on her life to love people like I've never seen before. There is just a love and a grace in her lives that we benefit from. I know you're gonna catch on to that as you hear from her. Jannie and her husband Ray have been married for 48 years. The Ortlands have four married children and 13 plus one on the way grandchildren. Her children live all across the United States and Great Britain. She has been a pastor's wife, a mother, a grandmother, a former elementary school teacher, obviously a conference speaker, and an author. I forgot to bring up the book. Can you hand it to me, Bethany? But this, she's currently writing a book, and she has two other books, but this book I am really excited about, and I am getting it for my grandchildren, for those that don't have it yet. But this is very encouraging. It's a book. It's called A Child's First Book About Marriage, and it's perfect. Thank you, Jannie, for doing that. Um, Three things that stand out about Jannie, to me, are her love for Jesus and her love for prayer and her love for her husband, Ray. Jannie, thank you for coming to Cornerstone and sharing with us this weekend.
1: I love you.
0: Thank you, dear. It's always so hard to get
1: up to speak after Sherry introduces me because you're trying to figure out how can I connect with this lady? And so I'll just bring it all down to earth. Sherry, thank you, you love me very well, but um, I'm not that glorious. Only the Lord is, we just sang about him, oh my. Wasn't that a wonderful song? The last one, I mean, they both were, but this last one, that paradox that we saw in, in this song about our Lord, Okay, so you need to know the real truth about me, since Sherry only told you the things (laughs) that would put me up on a pedestal that I I shouldn't be on. Let's see, what can I tell you? Uh, Yesterday I overdosed on chocolate. I had promised I would only have two pieces, and I had eight. I mean, I was... um, Oh, here's another thing. How many of you have dogs? You love your dog, don't you? We have the most darling black Labrador, Nixie. But I yelled at her this week, and I stamped my foot and I lost my temper with my dog. Can you, it's because I don't have any kids at home anymore to lose my temper with. Um, I got kind of upset with the traffic on the way up here. I was supposed to meet Sherry at 5.20 and it was 5.10 and we were stuck on a bridge with traffic for quite a while and I I'm just like you. I have to learn contentment too. We're in this together. And I'm I'm the words, it's my muscles that are moving, but let's pray that it's not Janny that you hear that somehow as the words come out you can see Jesus and meet with him because he is the only one that can truly bring us to the place of contentment. And if you want to know anything else about me, just text in a question, I'm an open book. But thank you, Sherry, for your kind introduction. It's so sweet of you, I really appreciate it. I've been asked to speak on contentment. Jake kindly wrote the titles of each of my talks for me. So that really gave me the line to walk down. So it's really great, I'm, I'm glad he did. The first topic that he gave me for this evening. We're gonna have two talks together. Can you believe it? Are we gonna make it through Friday night? How many of you worked all day? You all did, come on, raise your hands. Every woman in this room has worked all day. And Friday's usually the end of a long week, isn't it? I know it is for me. So I'm asking the Lord to give us strength. Me as I speak, to be engaging enough to keep your attention. You as you listen, to be able to stay alert on a Friday night, I am to give you a 10 minute break in between. So about eight o'clock, we'll we'll stop and we'll take a 10 minute break and then we'll come in for our second session. That sound good? we together on this, but feel free to get up. If you're getting sleepy, it's better than falling asleep on me. Just get up, go get some coffee. That'll be fine. Well, our title for tonight is Treasuring Christ, Contentments rare jewel. Let's start this conference by thinking about what contentment is, if you were to define it. I would define it this way. Contentment is a high degree of satisfaction with what I have and who I am. Being content means I'm not continually longing for anything more or anything else. It means I'm, I'm comfortable with my life where I am right now. I'm pleased with it. I feel serene and at rest. Now, our goal for the next 35 to 40 minutes is to look deep down into each one of our souls personally because a conference is a perfect time to do that, isn't it? We want to slow down and take an inventory of our hearts tonight. A conference gives us a chance for personal connection with the Lord, deep reflection and inner renewal way down deep in our souls. Your church, and I know we have some different churches represented here, your churches will become outwardly what you are Inwardly, So we want to take time for God to speak to us as individuals, don't we? And corporately from his word. Now tonight, I'd like to answer two questions. The first one is this. Where should we go to find this rare jewel of contentment? And then the second question is, why is it so hard to stay there? So let's dig into that first question tonight. Where should we go to find this rare jewel of contentment? I had a wonderful godly mother-in-law, Anne Ortland, and she used to tell me, "Jannie, most of life happens right here between your ears. <laughs> That's true, isn't it? The biggest struggle in our whole life is the one going on inside of us. and We can hide it pretty well a lot of the time. Really, our biggest struggle isn't all the circumstances going on around us. Our biggest battle is how we interpret those circumstances and respond to them. And that response springs from deep within our soul. Now, my verse for tonight is a very simple verse. It's from Psalm 62.1. And it's just the first half of it that I'm going to speak from. I'm using, and I don't know without turning around, I'm not sure if we're going to have verses behind me or not. We may. We'll see. Um, Psalm 62.1 in the NIV. Don't tell my son Dane. I'm using the NIV tonight because he helps get the ESV out to the world. So... But the Lord gave me this verse before the ESV was published. And so I learned it in the NIV. And it's my life verse. My soul finds rest in God alone. Seven short words. My soul finds rest in God alone. Or the ESV does say, For God alone my soul waits in silence. But for tonight... Would you give me the freedom to speak from the ESV and the NIV, both? All right. Do you all use the ESV? How many of you are familiar with the ESV translation? Many of you are. Okay, good. I'll tell Dane. (laughs) What we want to do is we want to break that verse down into three different sections. It's so easy. My soul finds rest, where? In God alone. Let's talk about our souls for just a minute, ladies. The human soul is so vast, it's so profound. It has immeasurable capacity for love and delight and all the passions that make us human. The Bible talks a lot about the human soul. Listen to some of these verses. Deuteronomy six five. when Moses is repeating the law for the children of Israel right before they're to enter the promised land, he says this, Love the Lord your God with all your soul. Or Joshua, after he has conquered the promised land, he says this in Joshua 22:5, 5. Cling to the Lord your God and serve him with all your soul. You see, our souls love. They cling to something. They serve something. Our souls can't help but love and cling and serve. We can't keep our souls from longing, from yearning, because our souls are filled with passion. Our souls are passionate. Our souls are the seat of all of our emotions, our feelings of both happiness and angst. Think of the psalmist when he says in Psalm 103, verse 1, bless the lord oh my soul and all that is within me bless his holy name have you ever been so happy you couldn't contain it you just had to squeal and jump with delight or on the opposite end of the spectrum of our passionate souls job 7:11 puts it this way i will complain in the bitterness of my soul oh If we're past the age of 11, we know what that's like, don't we? Mm -hmm. Your soul can feel great joy and profound bitterness. It's filled with passion. Jesus felt passion deep within his soul. Think of when he was praying in John chapter 12. He says, now, this is Jesus praying, now is my soul troubled and what shall I say? He's praying to his father and his soul is troubled. Your soul is your deepest inner self and Jesus knows what it means to suffer there. You're not alone. Not only are our souls passionate, our souls are needy. The Bible teaches us this. Our souls are dynamic. They're active. They can change. They they can, in a sense... Expand and grow and learn, be refreshed and restored. And they can also shrink and shrivel and dry up. The human soul needs nourishment and care just as much as the human body. The sons of Korah in Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2, put it this way As a deer pants for flowing streams, so Pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. You see, that feeling of longing for someone to be out there listening, watching, caring, providing, that springs from our souls. Your soul can get tired, it can get weary can get worn out from time to time it needs restoration. that's why we're here tonight. job 10 one puts it this way: my soul is weary of life. Or David in psalm twenty three three I love this he restores my soul. or psalm one nineteen seven talks about God's word reviving the soul, breathing fresh life into our souls. Our weary souls need to be revived, restored, refreshed. Our souls are needy. They're passionate and they're needy. Now what about that second phrase in our verse? My soul finds rest. What my soul finds rest in matters deeply because it shows the inclinations, the leaning of my heart. What do I turn to? What do you turn to when you're worried, tired, angry, bored, frustrated? Well, I don't know about you. For me, it could be the refrigerator or my iPhone or the Internet, Facebook or TV. What attracts and engages my soul? Also, what diverts my soul from the truest and best in life? Have you ever heard of the poet Walt Whitman? I love his poem, The Wound Dresser. This is what he says. What stays with you latest and deepest? Of curious panics, of hard-fought engagements, or sieges tremendous, what deepest remains? That's the question we want to ask tonight as we think about contentment and where to find rest for our souls. What deepest remains? You see, our souls matter. God made us with souls. It's the eternal part of us. God doesn't want to empty our souls. He wants to energize them. 2 Corinthians 4.16 puts it this way. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self, that is our souls, our inner self is being renewed day by day. This is 2 Corinthians 4.16. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are not seen are eternal. There is something unseen within each one of us tonight that is eternal. It's our soul. What brings rest to your soul? How you answer that is very important. It will tell you where you are looking for contentment. How would you complete this verse? My soul finds rest in... You fill in the blank. So let's go to those final three words. My soul finds rest in God alone. The Bible encourages us to find that soul rest in God. He's the only one who can restore us deep down within. Psalm 1611 says, In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. There have been times in my own life when my soul didn't find her rest in God. I found rest in tricking Ray into marrying me, or getting a job once we were married and had moved to our new city where he was going to seminary, or my soul find, found rest in a, in a successful pregnancy after we lost our first baby, or in recovering our finances after our investor went belly up, or in being able to buy a home, or being able to furnish it, or a successful church for Ray, or losing 10 pounds, or you name it. There are so many things that I wake up with, with my soul churning over. I love my husband very much. I delight in him. I, I feel so blessed to be Mrs. Ray Ortland. I treasure him. But someday, you will hear that one of us has died. Either Ray or Jannie has gone to be with the Lord. The insurance companies are betting that it's going to be Ray first. It wouldn't surprise me if it was. <laughs> You're laughing? I'll be all alone. <laughs> God is the only constant. He's the only one who will never leave me, nor forsake me. My soul will only be at rest when I find my rest in Him. And God is the only constant in your life. Whatever else your soul goes to for rest will eventually give way to death or decay. The psalmist invites us to taste and see that the Lord is good. Now, To taste something is different than to be told it. I could describe my new Mississippi mud recipe to you, you know, with the dark chocolate brownie layer and then the marshmallows and then the wonderful chocolate icing on top with some nuts on half of it for those of you who love nuts and not on the other for those of you who don't. I could describe it to you. And I could talk about how, what it tastes like. But wouldn't it be so much better if I, I don't, but imagine with me, if I had ladies bringing each of you a bar to eat right now and you could taste and see what a Mississippi mud bar is like? That's what this psalmist, this verse in the psalm is telling us. Oh, taste and see what, that the Lord is good. He's inviting us to experience him so our souls are fed. Not just hear about him, not just be told about him, but really, truly take him in down deep into our souls. How do we come to relish him? How do we come to taste God? How do we come to see the invisible God? Well, Jeremiah 6.16 says this, Ask for the ancient past where the good way is, and walk in it and find rest for your souls. I love that, the ancient path. You see, there is a pathway that leads to rest, eternal rest, to true satisfaction, to real contentment. It's the pathway of Jesus Christ, laid out before the foundation of the world that we're invited into. Jesus said, Come to me, all you who labor, and are heavy laden and I will give you what? rest yes we're to read our Bibles we're going to talk more about that later we're to pray we're to meditate but let's not be women let's determine tonight that we're going to ask the Lord to help us not be women who just take the truths in and just kind of think about them, and, you know, we try to believe them. Well, dutiful belief might change our behavior, but it will never bring deep soul rest. The demons believe, the Bible says, but they shudder. There's a difference, you see, between duty, taking in the word, and delight. Do you know the the Fiddler on the Roof, that wonderful play, you know, how the father, that wonderful scene where the father is asking the, the wife, do you love me? And she says, well, what do you mean? I've given you five daughters. He said, but do you love me? I cook your meals. I wash your clothes. But do you love me? You see, there, there's something more than dutiful love when you're in love with Jesus and you want deep contentment. To find soul rest, God must become delightful to us. Let's ask him to help us. Let's ask him for that kind of delightful love this weekend. The Bible says God loves to answer that kind of prayer. Ask and it shall be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Second Chronicles 16.9 puts it this way. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. I like the picture of it. His eyes are flashing back and forth. Oh, there's a group of women in Knoxville tonight. Look, Father, they're looking to me. Hmm. To those... You see, he... That picture of of the eyes flashing, that means he's eager. He wants our hearts turned to him. And you might have picked up on that word to those whose heart is blameless. Now, obviously, blameless doesn't mean sinless or none of us would qualify. But wholehearted, completely his, desiring him as delightful, not just dutiful daughters. God gives strong support to those who want him. And if the... The want side of your love for God is low tonight. Ask him to increase it. Ask him to give you more want, more eagerness for him. Not ever my better future is the job, the house, the man, the baby, the grandchildren, whatever. My better future is God. Will we be open to God? My soul finds rest in God alone. Why is it so hard to stay there? Let's go to our second question. Why is it so hard to stay in that restful place before the Lord Jesus Christ? When I am struggling to be open toward God, to be content with my life, it is usually, it's most often, because he isn't I'm, I'm embarrassed to say this, but it's what I think. He isn't doing the things that I would if I were in his place. My, my soul just isn't at rest with who God is and his sovereign control over my life and my circumstances. I'm not, Oh, I'm sorry to say this, but it's true, so I'll say it. I'm not content with the job he's doing. Now we know that God's sovereignty is his exercise of rule as supreme ruler over king, over his whole creation. Everyone who meditates on this doctrine will soon come to a point where she will have to say one of two things. Either, I just can't rejoice in a God who does not act in a way that, in my opinion, seems good and and fair and loving. That's one way, one response. Or, as God gives me the faith, I will find my contentment in letting God be God. I'll trust him as my sovereign king, and I'll stop shaking my finger at him as if I knew better. I don't know about you, but I find in my own life, there are three reasons why I'm tempted to shake my finger at God. See if you can identify with at least one of these. Maybe you have some others you can help me with. The first reason I I struggle with contentment is because we live in such a broken world. Tomorrow, two of my very dear friend's fathers are going to be buried, one in Nashville, one in North Carolina. It's been a very hard week, such a broken world. And we as women, I don't want to generalize too much, but I think I could say this. We as women, we we like to fix things. We tend to be fixers. We don't like the brokenness we see around us, and we can't understand why God doesn't fix it. We think if we could just create our our picture-perfect world around us, we'll finally be able to relax and be happy in it and serve Him with joyful hearts. So we work really hard at creating that world and end up, at the very least, exhausted and sometimes even depressed or angry. We keep waiting and hoping that life will get better, will get easier, will get sweeter. And sometimes it just doesn't. Why? Why does life turn out this way? Because even in the most beautiful neighborhood, in the most wonderful family, in the richest, most privileged country, in the history of the whole world, imperfections reign. Dogs bark and neighbors hurt our feelings. (laughs) Babies get cancer and teenagers have tragic accidents. Husbands leave their wives and play around with other women. Friends mess around. We lose our jobs, our, our stock market's account crash, and our dreams for retirement go up in smoke, or the house doesn't sell, or the lab report comes back with our worst fears written across it. Our grown, married children have problems, or a much-longed-for grandchild is diagnosed with severe autism. And on top of all that, there's fighting everywhere, isn't there? From the halls of Congress to the sanctuaries of our churches to the walls of our own home. All we want is to be happy and live peaceable lives. Why is this world such a mess? Because it's broken. The only place where we can learn the truth about our broken world is from the Bible. I don't know if everyone here tonight believes the Bible. Some people think that the Bible is just a a book of rules and kind of shows us how we should behave. But the Bible isn't mainly about what we should be doing. The Bible is not a behavior management guide. I love how Sally Lloyd-Jones puts it. She says the Bible is not even... This is my adaptation of what she says, but I want to give her credit for her thoughts here. She says that the Bible is not even a book about heroes, although there are a lot of heroes in it. But they make really big mistakes, (laughs) and they get fearful, and they run away from their responsibilities, and they break their promises, and sometimes they're even cruel. You see, the Bible is God's story about his creative purposes for this world and how everything will one day culminate in a grand and eternal celebration of how good and beautiful he is. The Bible says that in the very beginning, God created a perfect world, and he made people to share in his perfect happiness, and the world would be their perfect home, and everything was perfect for a while. But God had an enemy who was proud and evil and full of hatred, and he wanted to stop God's plan because he wanted to be God. You you will know the story of Adam and Eve. They lived in the perfect garden. God had given them only one rule. Don't, Don't eat from that one tree because when you do, you will think you know everything, and then you'll stop trusting me and everything will break. You see, God knew that if we that if they ate the fruit, they would think that they didn't need him and they'd try to make themselves happy without him. And there is no way to find contentment or soul rest without God. Adam and Eve doubted God. They, they believed what they should have doubted and they doubted what they should have believed. They doubted God and they believed his enemy. How many times have we done that? Oh, I have. By believing the lie that they could do it on their own and that God really didn't love them. They broke their relationship with God and then everything else started to break and come undone and go wrong and from then on everything would die that was supposed to last forever. We live in a broken world. Are you a fixer like I am? I wanna fix everything from a broken teacup to a broken relationship. But there's no way that I can fix This imperfect, broken world that I live in, and that makes me feel one of two ways. Either it makes me angry or it makes me really scared. Let's talk about that anger that we sometimes feel that really drives away the contentment in our hearts. We I don't maybe you don't, maybe I shouldn't say we. I know I hear a lot of people, they come to me and they say, I'm just so angry with God. Usually it's because they're in the midst of a really, really hard trial. But let's be women who are careful. Do we really know whom we're angry at? Do we want to take this side of the scribes and Pharisees against the Lord Jesus? I'll illustrate quickly with the time in my own life. Some of you have heard this before. I know some of you listen uh, to our podcast and I thank you and you've probably heard this story and you've heard me talk about Psalm 62.1. We had three little kids. Ray had his master's in theology and a a second master's in Hebrew and he told me he wanted to get a PhD. And I wasn't really happy about that. But eventually I came around and we moved to Scotland, which was wonderful. I mean, it was a happy place. We sold everything except his library and my piano. We moved overseas. We invested that money with a Christian investor. And after two years, Um, Unfortunately, our investor went belly-up, and we lost every penny, and we had nothing. We had no savings. We had invested everything with him, and Ray had a student visa, so he wasn't allowed to work. He was on a visa that would not allow him to work. And, you know, at first I was going to suffer strongly. I was going to be a good Christian, and, you know, I did fine for about two weeks, and then (laughs) thinking, how am I going to feed these kids? That happened the month our fourth baby was born. And, you know, we did everything we could. We sold our car and we walked everywhere. And I babysat a little bit after school. And um, we also got a little bit from the British government. And our, our parents sent us a little bit of money. We limped along. But really, I, I was not a happy camper. This went on for two years. We didn't have enough money to fly back. And Ray was on a scholarship, so his education was taken care of, so we just thought we'd better stay here. I remember I was getting tired of the day-to-day grind, of not having a car, having to walk into the village. It was about a mile away to get our groceries when we had the money to buy them. I missed family. I missed a lot of things about America. It was November of 1984. I know many of you weren't born Yet, But that's okay, just imagine back there with me. We got 12 inches of rain in that one, two weeks before Thanksgiving was coming. I was tired. I was discouraged. I even lost the diamond. It fell out of my ring. I found it eight weeks later. That's another story, hopefully I can tell you. But um, I lost my diamond. Eric, our oldest, was sick, and I didn't have money to get him what we used back then to reduce the fever. It's called Panadol. Uh, you know, I was just grumbling and complaining. And then our family, it was Thanksgiving Thursday. And of course, in Britain, you don't celebrate Thanksgiving because that was the day we separated from Britain. But <laughs> um, but I had a, a, we had pizza, just little tomato and cheese and bread. And I, somehow I thought that was American. I know it's, Italian, but anyhow, I felt it was American enough because we couldn't afford a turkey and we celebrated Thanksgiving with my grumpy spirit and the family called from home and I was just a mess. Friday morning, woke up, the kids were well, the three older ones went to school and I was nursing Gavin and I turned on the BBC and they were breaking the news of the Ethiopian famine and they had reporters there with cameras, and there were mothers lying along the dusty road, dying, with their babies dead beside them, and I looked down, and I had fresh water to drink, and I was nursing Gavin, and he was a good size, and it came over me, the grumpy, complaining spirit that I had, I'd been shaking my fist at God, saying, Lord, I've done so much for you. Oh, you know, I sold this. I came here with my husband. I tried to be submissive. And I was just listing all the ways that God above owed me. And he dealt with me so tenderly. He said, oh, my darling daughter, that's not how it works. We're not in a bargain. We're not in a deal. It doesn't work that way. Ray came home. I called him because I was weeping so much as the Holy Spirit convicted me and I was repenting. And he gave me a couple verses that helped me to see that my relationship with the God of the universe is never a bargain, it's an invitation from him on his terms, on his timing. Job 40 puts it this way. He who argues with God, let him answer. Will you even put me in the wrong, God says? Will you condemn me that you may be in the right? Oh, my. Let's repent of our unwillingness to let God be God. Let's let's lay our anger down. When we feel that rising up, that question of how could you? Let's ask the Lord, oh, I'm sorry, help me to repent. Finally, our broken world not only makes us angry, sometimes it makes us afraid. You might not be struggling with anger toward God, but there might be some fears in your life. Are you ever afraid that your life might not turn out the way you think it should or wanted it to? What if we have to live our whole lives in a world that never really satisfies the deep lo- deepest longings of our souls? If we worship a God who is in, is in control of everything, is it wrong for me to ask him for things that I think would make me happy? I don't think that's wrong, because God put those longings deep inside each one of our hearts as women. The desires for security and stability we feel come from our Creator. He made us and built those feelings deep into the human heart. He doesn't despise those longings. He put them there. The problem is that we look in the wrong places for the security and stability every human soul needs. We think when I finally find that man who will be good to me and help me build my perfect life or when one of us finally gets that perfect job that will support our perfect lifestyle or when I finally am able to have children or then when the demands of motherhood aren't so constant or, you know. We could just go right on down it. When, when, when. But to create a stable life out of the mess we all make of our lives requires someone outside of ourselves. That someone is Jesus Christ. We can't do this on our own. He says in John 14, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't let your hearts be discontent. Believe in God, believe also in me. Right now, you're living in an imperfect world, but I'm going to prepare a place for you, a perfect place, and I'm coming again. We sang about it tonight, begging him to come soon. I'm coming again, and I'm going to take you to that place. Little Isaiah Daniel is our 10th grandchild, and he was born with a condition called I-U-G-R-E. You medical people know intrauterine growth restriction. He was very, very tiny. And so he had to stay in the NIC unit for several days until he gained a significant amount of weight and was well enough to go home. I, I likened that little bassinet in the NIC unit to earthly life. His parents were preparing a place for him at home. Oh, my, was it beautiful. Crib, toys, anything that little boy would want. But right now, he was confined to that NIC unit. It sustained his life. It was where he needed to be. But someday, they were going to come and take him home because they had prepared a place for that baby. Jesus is like that. He's preparing a place for you right now. You might feel like you're in a NIC unit, Maybe your life is really hard right now, but God is preparing a place for you. And he will come and take you home. You see, if you know Jesus Christ, your true citizenship is in heaven. You're an alien here on earth. And you live differently when you're an alien. If you ever live in a foreign country and you know you're only going to be there a short time, you can put up with things that you might not agree with or might be difficult. When you know things are temporary, contentment can fill your heart. Because you say, Oh, this isn't going to last forever. If you really believe that Jesus is preparing a place for you, then you can put up with things here. We can give up our slavery to our self-interests and fears, and we can enter into deeper, fuller living that reaches out beyond the physical and affirms that there exists outside this material world another world that our eyes cannot yet see, but it's more fulfilling And it's actually more real than anything we have now. You see, either Jesus Christ is enough or He's not enough. And you will spend your discontented life trying to make up the deficit and fill the void you fear He either can't or won't fill for you. Don't let various human fears control how you think about life. Ask God to help you live above the fears of the what-if. Don't let your difficulties and trials control your emotional well-being and mental stability. I wish I could say I've done that all my life. I haven't. I remember one time Mom Ortland and I was an old lady. I was a grandma at this time. I was fussing about something very fearful in my life, and she said, "Jannie." Stop it. I needed her to tell me that. She said, "Do you know that the Bible has more than 365 commands to fear not? That's one for every day. So stop it. (laughs) I needed to hear that. Oh, my goodness. I couldn't just turn it off. But... I did not want to let my emotional makeup control my whole life and those around me. The opposite, let me close with this, the opposite of fear is not courage. It's faith. Faith in the one who put that longing in my heart for a perfect place. Faith in the one who knows a perfect world can only remain perfect with perfect people in it and we are not. Faith in the one who says, I will die to take your imperfection upon myself and give you my perfection so you can come to my new perfect world. Now, when we believe that, when we say, I don't believe it very well, just help my unbelief, Lord. I want to believe that. I want to be content in you. Will our world, this side of heaven, still have problems Yes, I can't promise that every earthly longing will be met and fulfilled exactly according to our desires, but I can tell you this. God loves you through his Son with a personal and powerful love that can so fill your heart that no matter what your circumstance, Jesus will be enough. Romans 8. What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? The human heart is naturally wired to diminish God. Compromise is so automatic that we don't even recognize it. We find his promises unrewarding and his word boring and his church sometimes disagreeable and his expectations too demanding. But we, dear sisters, are part of something vast and glorious and ancient. The Son of God was chosen in eternity past to be your redeemer. In eternity past, 1 Peter tells us, he set in motion his loving intent to make you his own daughter forever. All of this world's history is the story of redemption. This story is so much bigger than you and me. We're not the main characters in this drama. We're not the point. But by God's grace, we get to play a part. Oh, tonight, will you ask the Lord to so take away your fear and your anger and fill your heart with contentment to play your part in his story. Because Jesus is that rare and beautiful jewel who's gone to prepare a place for you and will come and get you and take you there with him forever. Let me pray. Oh, Father, we want to come to you in our brokenness and all the broken relationships and dreams that make us angry and afraid. Oh, Lord, help us to give it all to you. Help us tonight, Lord, to be able to say, my soul finds rest in God alone. Not God plus, but God alone. Then you'll get the glory and we'll get the joy and we'll thank you forever. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: You've been listening to a conference given for Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.